0: There are some things that Scripture shows us that we don't realize we're seeing because they're just so normal that we pass over them without comment. And one of the things I want to make very clear to you this morning is that the Bible is filled with teaching. It's absolutely filled with teaching. you say, duh. And I don't blame you. You know what it isn't filled with? It isn't filled with ceremonies and rituals. It is true that the Old Testament had sacrifices and sacrifices and sacrifices. But you know what the sacrifices were for was to produce In the people, a consciousness that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, yeah, there was blood and blood and blood and blood. But in the Old Testament, what we have are exhortations and exhortations and exhortations. And if you go through your life not learning the Bible, then you won't realize that when Jesus came, he began to what? Do ceremonies and rituals? When the son of man came, what did he do? Did he go around and teach people that he had the perfect ritual? Did he teach them that he was the one that had the ceremonies and rituals that would get you saved? Is that what he did? It's not what he did. He didn't go around teaching people that if you believed in the real presence that you would be saved. He didn't hold you over the fire teaching you that you had to receive these ceremonies and rituals from him. And that is evil. If somebody takes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and reduces it to teaching you that you have to get it just right. Who does this and who does that with what bell and what smell? And that's what the Christian faith is. It's insane. Jesus came preaching. And what does preaching do? Well, <laughs> preaching gets to your heart, doesn't it? Huh? And I'm gotten to your heart right now. Right? That's right. And it's very uncomfortable, isn't it? What we'd rather do is we'd rather have ceremonies and rituals, wouldn't we? Because ceremony and rituals are a man in a, in a, in a nice gown that makes him look like a woman, you know? And so right, that right away makes it clear it's other. You know, it's like hearing King James English, you know, thee and thou and worth forth and all this stuff, and it just feels spiritual. Because we're so dirty that we want a language and, and a hairstyle and, 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 and clothing and everything that just makes us feel like that's something over there. And if I just, you know, once a week get sort of cuddle up to it a little bit and get a little bit of it and then come away, then whew, I can be a wicked man the rest of the week. Just cuddle up to it next week and then come back and, and then I don't have to have the word of God in my heart. And I don't have to hear the Holy Spirit, and I don't have to pray, and I don't have to ever be convicted of sin. Because I just next week, I'll go over next to that Femi dude with the robes and all the bells and smells and just cuddle up to him again, you know, and, and then go back and live like a pagan. And he'll tell me that he has the true ritual and the true ceremonies and the true bells and smells and He'll he'll keep me in subjection for 2,000 years. And you wonder, where did that come from, right? Listen, I see how your souls are held over the fire. I see it, right? Right? If you were sheep and you kept lollygagging over by the chasm where it went down a 1,000 feet and you'd bounce off the rocks on your way to your death, the shepherd might actually want you to be warned against the chasm. The Roman Catholic Church is a chasm. It has always been a chasm. And there is something at stake. And when you open your Bible and you see Jesus preaching, I want you to realize that he did not come to do ceremonies and rituals where if you got it right, you'd be saved. Never did Jesus say anything about that, let alone do anything like that. He came what? He came preaching and healing, preaching and healing, preaching and healing. And his preaching began with what? Repent. So can you imagine how you'd set up a system that would not have preaching and certainly not repentance, right? If Jesus came preaching repentance, then there must be something about preaching repentance that's helpful to us, right? Jesus didn't come to be innocuous, (laughs) right? We leave that to the school of education. Would you open your Bibles to one of Jesus' sermons? And it's a story, and a story has a spiritual truth that's hidden in the story. And here it is. He, in Matthew 12, beginning with verse 1, or excuse me, yes, 1. Well, I don't know. What do you have up there? Yeah, you do start with 1. Okay. And then we're going to skip down to uh, 18 through 23. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the seed, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he what? Did he do many rituals and ceremonies? Huh? No. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I love this, where Jesus says this. He who has ears let him hear and it's kind of interesting here that he says that because the whole point of the parable is he who has ears let him hear so it's kind of a double whammy here he's told a whole parable saying many of you don't have ears are you with me and then he gets to the end and he says now remember I told you not many of you have ears but he who has ears let him hear What's the point of saying, He who has ears, let him hear? Well, it's probably to make you jealous. Jealousy is a really good motivational tool. Remember in Romans, it talks about the jealousy between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so, what he's saying is, You know, some of you don't have ears to hear. You should be envying the man that does have ears to hear. Let him who has ears, let him hear. And skip down to 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. This is the explanation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, not when anyone goes through the rituals and ceremonies of the kingdom, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so... Here we have Jesus teaching, all right? And what he says is that 25% of the people are saved. Now you say, well, that's not what he says. And I say, okay, how many different kinds of soil are there? There are four, right? There are four. So, all right, if you don't want to say 25, then say whatever you want. But we know that many are called and few are chosen. We know that the way is broad, and the path wide that leads to hell, but the way is narrow, and few there be that find it, that find eternal life. And so when his word goes out, we can just divide it up. So from about here, to about here, to about here, to about here. And so of these four groups here this morning, one quarter are going to produce fruit. One quarter. And you say, well, no, we're all the good soil. That's why we're here. We wouldn't listen to you if we weren't good soil. And I say, there is some truth to that. <laughs> all right. But okay, so do your division any way you want to, but there has to be some point to Jesus dividing it up into four soils. And every one of us should be hearing him say, let him who has ear to see here, here. And who do you think was out there listening to Jesus when he's sitting in a boat? Was it the people that were hard of heart? He's taking those who hear him preaching and dividing them. And then he says, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Now, in the middle of his ministry, what we find is that people are coming to him in masses. He's very popular. It's the reason he goes, sits in a boat, because there's so many around that He needs to get a little bit of space, right? And we find that another time he's in a house and there's so many people in the house that his mother and his brothers are reduced to sending a message through the crowds into the house to tell him they're outside. There's just tons of people, thousands of people come to hear him preach, all right? But we find that there comes a time when Everybody leaves him, and by the time he dies, there's nobody with him. Everybody abandons him. And so Jesus here is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's a scandal to them, and that he will not have popularity, and that he's about to lose a ton of his disciples. Now, why did he lose them? Well, he lost them because the election was held and it turned out people didn't want a leader like him. All right? He lost them because the Jews had convinced themselves that their, prophes- that, that their um, Messiah, who had been prophesied, was not going to be a leader who was going to bring them into political salvation. He was not going to be a man who was able to lead a revolution against the Roman Empire and give them freedom. He wasn't going to take away the taxation burden. He was not going to do all the things that we worldlings want. Not Obamacare, right? We want a political leader. We always do. And what they were going to find out was, despite the fact that he was popular, despite the fact that he could even calm the wind and the waves... In other words, there was nothing in between him and exercising any power he wanted to. He could have burned Rome up in an instant by snapping his fingers. What they were going to find was that he didn't have the same agenda they had. He didn't have the desire to take care of the Roman Empire. And this was a disappointment to them, and they were all going to fall away. But here he had his little flock. And he wanted them to have a grid to understand why there were going to be so many who were going to be leaving him. And so what he did was he told them a parable. And remember, the parable has a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, right? Now this week, we're going to deal with the first two quarters, and then we'll come back, all right? So now, the quarters. Behold, the sower went out to sow. One of the things I say over and over today is that uh, it's a real problem reading the Bible today and understanding it because none of you have been on a farm. So Last week I was with a bunch of people that knew farming and it, it's so much easier to talk to them because there's some basic humility in farmers <laughs> and there's none in academics because academics never have to deal with the weather. You know, they don't have to deal with soil. I don't like Bloomington soil. It drives me crazy, and the reason is it's clay, and it's just nasty. I grew up with a huge garden in our backyard, and I had the job of rototilling, and my mother had a front-tine rototiller, and it was my job to prepare the garden. Actually, that's actually not quite true. The truth is, it abutted a corn-soybean field, and we were able to talk the farmer into making a wide swath when he came through every spring. And so I did use rototiller, but uh, I didn't... But even so, the soil was black, so it's easy to rototill black soil. So Charlie, for two years, Charlie loaned me his rototiller, and it's rear-time. It's big, big, big. And he said, it's just like butter. It'll just go cut right through the soil and it just it'll be so easy. So I borrowed Charlie's rot, and it's a, a very nice rototiller. But about every eight seconds and I weigh 250 pounds, I'm 6'2. And about every eight seconds as I'm holding on to this thing, it would go foom and I'd be horizontal behind it. It's dragging me through the uh, through the garden, you know. And then I'd stop it, you know, I'd pouring sweat, you know, exhausted. And it would tire me out so much, Charlie, that I would be re- to kneeling on the ground, panting with sweat pouring off of me. It's easy. It's easy to real men, you know, real men like Charlie. He can use his rototiller. He's commenting to his wife, I'm wondering what he's saying. <laughs> so come on, what did you just say? I learned many years ago that there's no arguing with a farmer. (laughs) I can either preach to him or I can argue with him, but I can't do both. So I'm going to preach to you. I'm sure he's right, as long as he's sure I'm right. It's very hard breaking up fallow ground, especially when it's clay very hard. Fallow ground is ground that's hard pan. It's, It's ground that you've driven your car over. It's ground that all the bikes have ridden on top of. It's ground that you've walked on. It's ground that the deer go over. It's beaten down and beaten down and beaten down until nothing will grow on it. And the reason is that the seed has no place to hide as it germinates. It's just out there exposed. And so in order to get seed to grow there, in order to have a garden there, you've got to break the ground up. And you can use a big tractor with a plow. You can use a spade. You can use a rototiller. But you have to break the ground up. And if it's black earth, it's fairly easy. If it's clay, it's impossible. And so what's the first kind of seed? The first kind of seed is seed that falls on what? Jesus says this. Some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And the reason they came and ate them up is that they fell on soil that had not been prepared. There was no place to hide, no place to germinate. And so when the seed is exposed on the hard soil by the road, you understand this, what happens is that the birds come and they eat the seed. All right? The birds come and they eat the seed. Now, why do the birds eat the seed? Well, in the garden, they eat the seed because the birds are hungry. But that's not the case here. Here, it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, verse 19, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And so what we see is the word of the kingdom. Again, not the ceremonies and rituals, not the ceremonies and rituals, not the ceremonies and not the ceremonies and rituals, the word. The word. Okay, and so the word of the kingdom comes. I'm preaching, you're hearing. You notice Jesus uses the word hear, all right? But you don't understand it. And when you don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Now, why do you not understand what I preach? It's when you don't understand that Satan steals the seed from you. Why do you not understand? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you don't understand. Tons of reasons. One of the reasons you don't understand is that you're very lazy. And I know because I am too. We think that spiritual things should be the equivalent of you coming to church every Sunday and your little Robin, and pastor, just put it in and I'll go home and it'll it'll take care of me for the next week. And so we don't work here. We think we shouldn't. We actually think that the more we get without effort, the more spiritual it is. And again, that's why we always go to ceremonies and rituals. Ceremonies and rituals require nothing out of you other than that you choose the right ceremonies and rituals. And so we're lazy and what we want is to be able to be fed eternal life without any effort on our part. That's one reason we don't understand. We think that the Bible should yield itself to us with no effort on our part. We don't think we should have to work hard. We have elders, and the whole purpose of having elders is to make sure the preacher doesn't preach more than 50 minutes, because the roast is in the oven or the restaurant is waiting. And so our whole goal today is to reduce spiritual life to the easiest thing it can possibly be. And maybe we're Protestant, and so we don't believe in ceremonies and rituals. And that's a good step in the right direction. But then we want our preaching to be very, very user-friendly. And mind you, Jesus is not user-friendly. If he were user-friendly, he wouldn't have the proportions being one-quarter good, three-quarters bad. I mean, that would not get you a campus crusade spot at the large group meeting. They're not going to let you teach if that's what you teach, right? And what about the churches? Well, can you imagine going into a megachurch and having them teach you that it's one quarter good and three quarters bad? You know? I mean, no, 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 no. That's not how you milk the sheep. And so we have all kinds of reasons that we don't understand what God is saying to us. Now, here's another one. I tell you over and over that God could have sent angels to preach to us. It would be no difficulty for God to send you an angel. And so instead of me here, you'd have an angel, an angelic being, perfect. And if there were an angelic being there, then you'd be willing to be fed by him because you would not look at him and be jealous. You would not see his sins. You would just look at him and you would say, he's perfect, and so I'm willing for him to teach me. But Jesus knew who he was choosing as his disciples, and he chose to give you men with feet of clay. In other words, men who are sinners. And not just hypothetical, but real sinners. Men that you will see treating his wife disrespectfully. Men who don't get up in the morning when they should. Men who get tickets when they drive. And then you look at him and you say, I'm superior to him. And you really are. And you'll think, well, why am I listening to him then? I have more of it figured out than he does. And the reason God does that is because it's humiliating for you to have me teach you. (laughs) And that's good. It's good. It's good for you to have to listen to me. It's good for you to know you're superior to me as you listen to me. Why? Because it humbles you. And so the real reason that we don't understand the word of God is that we're proud. That's why. You know, you talk to pastors and elders, and you know when they're happiest? They're happiest when people confess sin to them. And you say, well, that's twisted. Why would that be? And the reason is because when people confess sin to us, then we know that their soil is broken up and it's ready to have the word of God planted and it will germinate. You see? And so the first kind of soil is by the road. It's hard pan. It's not broken up. There's no place for the seed to hide. And so Satan knows it. He knows you're lazy. He knows you're proud. And he knows you won't confess your sin. And so he comes along and quick, he takes the seed and and he's gone and the seed's gone and you're left damned. You're left damned. There is no hope for you. Because he is a refiner's fire and no one will stand who doesn't have the word of God. All right, what about the second one? Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. When I was in seminary, I was uh, sort of gardener, chauffeur, kind of flunky for rich people. And one of the things I did was cut their grass, and they were on uh, rocky ledges over the Atlantic Ocean. And... There were probably about six or seven places in their three acres that were the size of maybe one of these squares where grass simply didn't grow. It would grow, it would come up in the spring, it would look just as good as everything else, but then in the heat of the summer, it would all die. Now some of you this last uh, summer saw this in your yards. Uh, We have a Presby system, and over the top of the pipes where they're shallow, all the grass completely died this year completely, utterly died. Why? Well, because the soil is very thin, and it doesn't have depth so that it can't maintain moisture. So as soon as the heat comes, and it beats down and beats down and beats down like it did this summer, that's the adversity. Those are the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions. And as the sun persecuted the soil this summer, that grass died. All right? Now, notice that Jesus obviously is teaching us that we should be deep soil, right? But I want you to notice something in what he says about the second kind of soil. I want you to notice that he doesn't just tell us that the seed doesn't keep growing because during persecution and hardship. What he tells us is what happens first. And it's essential to this story to understand that he wants you to realize that at the beginning... It has high hope because it immediately grows. It comes into the church after living two decades where they've never heard the gospel. And it comes into the church and all of a sudden its heart beats within it. And it says, I've never heard anybody speak to my heart before. And it says, this is, this is something completely different. And then its heart is quickened, and it says, I'm a sinner, and then it flies to Christ. It's baptized, has the right ritual and the ceremony, but what? Then persecution comes. Then they have to go home and explain to their Buddhist parents or their communist parents that they're now a Christian. And immediately the parents say, well, does that mean that you're not going to bury me in a Buddhist ceremony? Or they're, they're they're Jewish and they're disowned. Or they fear that if they're a Christian, that their their dissertation's not going to be. They won't get tenure. Persecution and hardships come. And boy, it looks so good. The growth was just beautiful. You know, it was like growth and you know that that rock that's right underneath that seed makes that seed germinate quickly. The rock that will kill the seed is the rock that makes the seed grow. You know that. Because if you've ever planted grass seed over rock, you know that the rock warms the soil. And therefore the seeds pop. And Jesus wants you to know that the seed which will give in with persecution and suffering is the seed that pops. And he wants you to go through your life measuring every church you go to and every parachurch ministry you're a part of to see whether they're into the popping scene. And I cannot get you to turn away from that. And it infuriates me how many of you spend your life sucking up to popular, faddish, hipster, you know, podcasts, fame and fortune. And it's absolutely inimical to your soul. And America has perfected it unbelievably. So that you think that by jumping on wagon with the hundreds of millions of believers around the world that believe in the prosperity gospel, that your soul will be saved? Or by jumping onto R. C. Sproul, because everybody thinks R. C. Sproul is wonderful. That that must be good because everybody thinks R.C. Sproul is wonderful, or by going to Sherwood Oaks, because everybody goes to Sherwood Oaks. It's like, oh, please, people, please. What do you think Jesus meant when he said that the soil is thin and therefore the seeds pop and it has great hope for the future? Who do you think that is? Who do you think it is? There should be a category in your mind of ministries, of preachers, of parachurch organizations that you will have nothing to do with. Because why? Well, because they write letters back to all the churches that support them, telling how many hundreds of thousands of people came forward in their large group meeting last week. And I go into that meeting, and what I'm thinking is, okay, this is a hothouse environment. Any of you know what hothouse environments are, right? This is where, you know, they have the sun comes down and then night when it gets cold, they've got the plastic around and and this everything's perfect for that seed to germinate. And do you think that we don't know how to make everything perfect for you to germinate here? Do you think that I don't know that if I would chill out right now, that more people would come to this church? Do you think I'm an idiot? Come on. I grew up in Wheaton. Wheaton is the single place in this country, and America is the single place in the world where we understand marketing. I grew up in the marketing capital of Christendom in the world today. That's what Wheaton is. And do you know what I decided? Can you imagine when I was young and hadn't gotten fat yet? Can you imagine... What a big church I could have had with a famous father and a famous father-in-law. Publishers, authors, everybody knew them. (laughs) And I vomited, I vomited, I puke it out. I'll have nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. Why? Well, <laughs> because I love you. And I love my own soul. And I know my friends that are at tall steeple churches now. And I know the price they've paid. Come on. I know what they can't say to their people. I know they can't preach like this. Every single time I preach like this in the second service, I know it's going to go up on the web, and I know the comments they make about me. But I spent this last week dealing with incest at a church out on the West Coast. And it went the whole way through the family, and it's gone through the church and what, okay, so I could be at a conference, and, and I could be a keynoter, and I'm about at the age where, you know, I really should have some perks. Right? You make a lot of money on the speaking circuit, and you get your picture, and then those people will write blurbs for your books, and you write blurbs for theirs, and, and, and J.I. Packer writes blurbs for everybody's books. my dad would never write blurbs for books. And my father, I grew up with him mocking J.I. Packer. Now that sounds almost blasphemous, doesn't it? Why? Well, not because J.I. Packer doesn't write wonderful things. Everybody here should read J.I. Packer. But because my father saw that all of evangelicalism was a riot of marketing and money and fame. And my father said, I'm not going to write blurbs for anybody's books. And so he didn't. If he was asked, and he was asked again and again and again and again and again, he just refused to write any blurbs, right? What is the second seed? The second seed grows quickly. He's what we call a flash in the pan. He's cheap. And so if you have a campus ministry, right? where you have young women who are foxes get up and talk about what Jesus means to them you have just you've done everything that's good she's a fox good she's a woman good and she talks about how she feels loving Jesus good I mean, listen, do you really think that we don't know by having women up here leading prayer and having a good-looking woman over here singing and not choosing songs like, he is like a refiner's fire, do you really think that we don't know how many more people we could have here? Listen, Jesus told a story, and the story said that the seed that falls on the thin soil pops, and then it dies. And when does it die? As soon as hardship and persecution hit it. Right away, it dies. And so do you know, for 20 years, and Eric Rasmussen will tell you this is true, for 20 years, I have been in this community fantasizing about a study that empirically shows what Jesus taught. I want to study comparing those places that use young foxy chicks to talk about how Jesus makes them feel with those on campus who go to a church where the word of God is preached by a man. And I want to see what happens when they get married to one of those foxy chicks that gave a testimony in their meeting. And she has her first baby, and she has stretch marks. You know, a little hardship. She's not as pretty as she used to be. And then I want to see whether or not that man who came to faith, I want to see whether he keeps walking with his wife. Because to walk with his wife is to walk with the Lord. Listen, you have to have a category of ministries and churches and leaders who are not after the two-inch soil that pops. If you don't know who that two-inch soil that pops is in your life, if you don't know how you're seduced to be a seed that germinates in two inches of soil, if you don't know what soil to fall on, then you're not listening to what Jesus says. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. You have to choose the ministries you're under carefully. Because the ministries of this world are filled with people that go out there and they choose to be on hard pound soil. There are pastors who specialize in collecting people who are absolutely unwilling to have their hearts rototilt. And so you should think, oh, this is a church, this is a parachurch ministry, this is a preacher who specializes in people who are proud and will never let the seed germinate. And look at the birds. Look at Satan. He says, boop, 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 boop. And then you say, ah, right? yikes right 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 and then you should think well what about this one and you should think oh boy they're writing home about all the people that have prayed the sinner's prayer but you know I think maybe it was because the chick that gave the testimony was a fox (laughs) I mean come on people can can we please be real in the church can we please, you know, come on, come on? You all understand Apple's advertising, right? Right? Can you not understand the church's advertising? Can you please wake up and realize your soul is at stake? And so there should be a category of ministers and churches and parachurch ministries and podcasts where you go, oh boy. That growth is quick, quick, but you know, there's no warnings. There's no persecution. There's no, I know those people won't stand. In fact, I know that that preacher is teaching them peace, peace, where there is no peace. I know that preacher isn't disciplining them. And so when something hits them hard, they're going to fall over dead because they think that the Christian life is a way of being a particularly pious American a particularly pious Republican-American. And if we just got the right president, (laughs) come on, have any of you ever walked, taken a hike? You've gone along a creek and you've seen all along the creek, maybe you've canoed, you've seen these trees, big, big trees, boy, they popped. But now they're lying over and the ball, the root ball is up in the air, vertical, all right? Maybe you went down to Seminary Square, right? After the big storm. So these humongous trees. I have pictures of David Carell standing next to them. And David Carell is tiny next to these trees. And then you look at the trees, right? And a lot of these trees have tons of rocks caught up in the roots right by the ground. You've seen this. And that's what Jesus is warning us against. He's warning us against the cheap growth. Where the tree pops up, but then the wind comes and what happens? It just blows it down. Okay? You don't want to be that tree. You don't want to be that seed. You don't want to be that soil. What you want is your soil to be rototilled, plowed, cultivated. You want your heart humble so that the seed has a place to take root. So, for instance, pornography is a wonderful gift to you. And you go, what? Right? That's what you're thinking, right, Scott? Yeah. Well, here's the logic. If pornography is the occasion for you to repent, and then the seed comes in, or you're very, 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 very proud. And what a wonderful opportunity for the seed of the word of God. Because you're horrified at your pride. And you go, oh no, there's no hope for me. And the seed right there comes just, tucks itself under. You know? Or incest. Or Gossip, greed, and you get up in the morning, you're taking a shower, and you look at your heart, and you say, oh, I live for money. You know, your wife doesn't say it, you say it. And you go, oh, Holy Spirit, wash me with the right ceremonies and rituals. No, wash me with the pure word of God. Let me go sit under the preaching of that church that's serious, that's going to prepare me for the coming persecution. Okay? Okay? Give me your hearts, people. You have mine. Okay? Even if I don't know you, I see your eyes. Give me your hearts. Don't give them to me so that I'm nice or your friend. Give me your hearts so that I can fill you with the pure word of God. Don't protect yourself from me. God's speaking to you today. I'm not speaking to you. And he's saying to you, what is the condition of your soil? What is it like? What is your heart like? Okay. Okay. Okay? Okay? Imagine if your wife said to you, honey, you want to come to bed, okay? (laughs) I think you'd be a little responsive then. How come you're not responsive with me? Would you please give me your heart? Okay? Now, that's not wrong. It's not a cult. (laughs) Jesus had their hearts. And he said, let him. Who has ears here? Okay. Do you have ears? Say yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Some of you just lied. But then repent of lying and say, okay, he got me. Okay. Okay. Father, we know that unless the Holy Spirit breaks up the fallow ground of our hearts, there is no hope for us or our children or our wives, husbands, roommates, anybody. And so we have come here and pleaded with you to break up the fallow ground and to give us fruitfulness, to make us the one quarter that has good soil, prepared, and that goes on to produce fruit a hundredfold. Father, make us as a church fruitful. We pray that we'll have a reputation as being a fruitful church. We pray this in Jesus' name.